0: At gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. Let's find Hebrews chapter 13 tonight. Only a sinner saved by grace. Paul said that, but for the grace of God I am what I am. And it is the grace of God that enables us, that helps us. And so we truly are sinners saved by the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Isn't that good? Well, I think it's good. I'm sure grateful for it. I know you are, too. Hebrews chapter number 13, and you, you should have received a paper on the way in, and I hope that you'll take that because I really would like for you to uh, consider these things beyond tonight. Hebrews chapter number 13 and I'm going to read it as we go through, but here in a moment, as soon as you get there and get the paper in front of you, uh, we'll pray and ask God's blessing on tonight. I'm grateful that you're here, and let's keep one another in prayer. I know that the prayer list has folks on it that aren't, are under the weather or dealing with different uh, sicknesses or, or even some diseases and, and so on. So let's uh, keep one another in prayer, hold each other in that way, uh, and keep that in mind. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Father... Thank you for saving us by your grace. Thank you for the joy, um, the beauty, the sweetness of gathering together. Well, we pray for those that are not able to be with us tonight. Lord, you told us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It was wonderful to see Miss Jeannie, but Lord, this morning she's continuing to heal and gain strength. And I pray that you'd be with her in a, in a special way. Miss Becky, and pray that you would undergird her and strengthen her Uh, Lord continue to uphold her pray for brother Josh as he continues to heal uh, please in each one of these lives that you're allowing storms in Lord I pray that you draw them ever so close to you that you would show them your uh, love and your presence in the midst of their their storms Lord I pray for those that are traveling I ask for your safety upon them and all of us Lord as we go about our, our business this week Lord would you provide us safety, and most of all, Lord, would you help us to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit and growing in you, following after you so that the world would see our lights. Would we not bushel our lights? So, Lord, help us. We love you. I pray that you guide us through this lesson tonight, this message. I pray that it would be helpful and strengthening and edifying. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, have you ever eaten something and, uh, and you said, man, that that is, that is really good. And uh, you said, what is in it? What is in it? Uh, Or you might ask the person who made it, you say, what, what's the recipe? Or can I get the recipe? Have you ever, you know, tried to, you know, get a recipe from somebody else? That tasted really amazing. I know uh, recently in this summer, my wife and, and uh, Sabrina have been making this german potato salad and i've heard several people ask what's the recipe what what's in it what's going on inside of this thing ingredients matter and you know you know it's hey it's good but it's the ingredients the different ingredients that make up its goodness right make up its pleasantness to our taste and so tonight as we consider this matter of ingredients of our church or any church what needs to be a part of it i want us to consider this final epilogue from the what i would understand to be the apostle paul it it, it matters not in the grand scheme of thing it came from the lord and in this final chapter of the book of hebrews we find all these admonitions all these ingredients all these instructions that the believer is supposed to mind and by believers the church is made up of individual believers it's a made up of individual members and so therefore as an individual um, practices these things, so that it uh, affects the whole church. And so if we have all of us obeying these instructions or adding these ingredients into our living, into our daily lifestyle, it will affect the whole church. And so I want us to consider from the final chapter of Hebrews, this epilogue, this final this final statement, wrapping it all up. Here are these wonderful admonitions, and many of which you and I can put into practice this week. They're very, very practical. Have you ever noticed this fact that the Bible's practical? It's meant to be practiced. It's meant to be lived out. It's not, it's not theoretical. It's practical. It's meant to be lived in our, in our daily lives, and so we want to do that. I do want us to realize that Hebrews was written primarily to Hebrew believers, and when I say Hebrew, I'm talking about Jewish individuals, those who followed, uh, who were Jew by, by birth. Uh, and these in particular had followed Jesus Christ, their Messiah. They believed on him, but still were struggling with coming out of some of their old practices that they did uh, in, their, in their religion, some of the Old Testament things. And, and so the writer's writing to them to help them to understand, hold up, you don't need to continue on in these things. Similar to Galatians, the whole issue in Galatians, there was Judaizers that came by and said, hey, you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. You need um, circumcision plus Jesus Christ. We can't add anything into Jesus Christ for salvation, can we? No. no, not at all. The illustration of two chairs, if you're sitting in between the two chairs, you're not trusting either one. You need to trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And so they were adding works to the salvation. And, and so similar here, they're. they're uh the the call of hebrews is hey you need to focus on jesus christ and realize the sufficiency of jesus christ and what they were uh was really being called upon these believers is move past move past the little things move past the 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 baby steps of christianity and we want to move on to strong meat we want to move on to uh to uh greater doctrines we want to move on to understanding the whole counsel of the word of god in fact in hebrews chapter number five We find in verse number 11, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. Now, that wasn't a slap. That wasn't being condescending. It's just saying, hey, I'm having a hard time getting this through. You ever had someone try to explain something and it's like, it it isn't getting through. Explain it again. It isn't getting through. That's what was going on with them. Remember, they had grown up. They'd heard this all their life. And the the writer of Hebrews is is saying, listen, you, you need to get a hold of this. Verse number 12, Hebrews 5. For when uh, for uh, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. You need a teacher again and you need to be taught the first principles again. And he's saying, this ought not be the case. You need to be moving on. Verse 13, for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth unto them that are of full age, even th- on those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So the idea is as you um, dive more and more into the word of God, you have your senses, you have your understanding exercised or uh, exercise in the sense of um, being able to endure to take on more challenges, and so on. Just like in exor- physical exercise, the more you do it, the more challenges you can take on, and so forth. So um, Bennett's not eating steak, right? No, th- I mean, he's, he's probably at mushy, mushy food still a little bit. He has some teeth, right? A couple. Um, but, you know, he's still in that, that baby stage. He, he's not able to do that. Jason, Jason can eat steak. You know, he, he, he's able to do that. And I would I'd really have a problem if he's asking for some Gerber baby food right? Or, or a bottle of milk, you know, that would be a problem, right? Um, so anyway, uh, these believers really needed to progress. That's what he's saying, progress. And he's going to help them to do that. One of the areas they needed to progress in is realizing the sufficiency and finality of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we find that d- uh, dominantly pushed all the way throughout, that Jesus is better. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. And we find in uh, Hebrews chapter 7, for the law made nothing perfect. Verse 19, chapter 7, bringing in of a, a better hope did by the which we draw nigh to God. What's that better hope? It's Jesus Christ. Insomuch so much as not without an oath, he was made a high priest for those high priests were made without an oath. But this Jesus with an oath by him that uh, said unto him, the Lord swear and will not repent, um, will not change his mind. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made surety of a better testament, of a better covenant. And they truly were made a many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. They, they died. They were men. And so on the, their earthly priests couldn't con- continue on. But this man, Jesus, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. And here's a wonderful verse. Wherefore, he, Jesus, is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God, by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them, for such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. He doesn't need to go and, and get his own sins taken care of. He is perfect. He's a perfect son of God. And so the writer is saying, listen, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything you were practicing in the Old Testament. He's the fulfillment of all those sacrifices. He is the final sacrifice. He's the final Passover lamb. And hear him follow after him don't get caught up in all this follow after him so one man has said hebrews was written to the hebrews to tell the hebrews to stop being hebrews the idea of okay it's it's time to get on to christ get on to christ all this was a picture to show you christ but don't stay stuck at the picture get to the real thing and trust in him and enjoy him and, and 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 eat at that 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 banquet table so to speak and so Paul is dealing with all of this as he encourages them. One last thing that I want to give an introduction. As he gets to chapter number 10, the end of chapter number 10, he urges the believers, these believers, to make sure that they hold fast their profession. That they stand on the faith of the gospel. That they do not waver. That they don't go back and forth. Hebrews 10 and verse number 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, full assurance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. He is all that we need for salvation. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, which is something that God is doing. He's renewing our minds. He's changing us. He's, he's taken away our sins as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. But day by day, practically, he's changing us into the image of Jesus Christ. And he says, let us hold fast our, our profession of faith. Let us hold fast that hope in the gospel. Don't waver in any way. For he is faithful that promised. Now, are you there at, Chapter 10 and verse 24. Let's read it together. uh, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Read on. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. And so he just brings it all to this. Listen, you need... You need the community, you need the fellowship of the believers so that you hold fast, you don't waver, you don't hear different doctrines and, and all these things and just get kind of thrown and blown off course. So as we wrap all of Hebrews up, we are told we're giving admonitions for believers like you and, you and me and for churches like ours. Hey, make sure that this is a part because this is going to help you to live to live out Christ, to live out Christianity in your daily life, to to be the brightest light in your area, to be the brightest light for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to simply walk through uh, chapter number 13 and help us to see this, chapter 11, the Hall of Faith. Here's examples of faith, people that have gone on before us, these heroes of the faith, Noah, Abraham, uh, Jacob, and Samson is even in, in there, all these heroes of faith. Chapter number 12, the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. He's the one that we're to keep our eyes on and stay focused on. But when it all comes down to it, let's keep our eyes on Jesus and let's practice what he's told us to do. Number one, I want us to see this first ingredient that they were to be adding into or living out was in verse number th- on chapter 13, verse number one. Let's read it out loud together. Are you there? Chapter 13, verse number 1. Chapter 13, verse number 1. Let's read it together. Ready, begin. Let brotherly love continue. One more time. Let brotherly love continue. This isn't agape love here. This is just talking about brotherly, phileo, brotherly love. Just just common courtesy between one another. God says, hey, make sure that in your life, in your church, in your body, in your assembly, that there is brotherly love. Among the fellowship of the believers, there's brotherly love. Jesus said that by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. It's amazing when people categorize the different religions, the highlight that they give, unsaved people, outside perspective, the highlight that they give, Christians are known for their love. That's a reality. Even, Even the very word, When Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another, there it is, this sacrificial love. That sacrificial love that Jesus displayed for us, that unconditional love, is a distinctly Christian concept. It was not used in much of the Greek literature, but it was used many times, over 300 times throughout the New Testament. It's a distinctly Christian concept. And so God wants us to have that love. By the way, sacrificial love will flow out in brotherly love. It'll be noticeable. It'll be, a, it'll be a tone. It'll be a kindness. It'll come out in the way we interact with each other, on the, uh, the way that we care for one another, uphold one another. And so we ought to have this ingredient of being loving. Loving. Verse number two. Let's read it out loud together. Help me. Verse number two. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained stra- angels unaware. You realize that Scripture's true. We believe the Bible, all of it, right? And so God literally says, hey, there are times you might entertain a stranger unaware, an angel unaware. Uh, that's a pretty awesome thought. I love the fact that God says that little children have an angel, a guardian angel. Their angel speaks of that in Matthew. Uh, I guess we, um, we age them as they, not really, um, but as, as they walk with us through, uh, through life. But that's a sweet, that's a sweet thought. That God is present and his, his messengers, his servants are around us and serving. And God tells the church, God tells believers, hey, don't forget to entertain strangers. You might be entertaining an angel unaware. I believe Brother Wayne speaks of, uh, of an experience in the, the Philippines of being stranded in a car and, and someone showing up to help that spoke perfect English. They, they left, no one knew who it was. Um, but that's not a spooky thing. God's real. And his servants are real. And so we praise the Lord for that. And I think of the, the many times that we have close calls and how that God is, God is protecting through those times. So we're, we're not to be forgetful to entertain strangers. What does this word entertain? Put on a show? No. It literally is the word, the idea of hospitality. Now, I've, I've spoken of this before. We have to be really careful not to get into the Martha Stewart mentality of everything being a, being a show and, and, and so forth. We like things, the Bible does say that services and all those things should be done decently in order, but at the same time there's a reality that hospitality needs to be our rule. Hospitality, come in to our family, needs to be our rule. Come into my house, this is my house. It's not always always neat. You know what? That's the reality. Your house isn't always neat, right? You don't own up to it? (laughs) But we should, we should do our very best, but the idea of hospitality is come share what we have. You're welcome here. Even if it's an inconvenient time, you're, you're welcome here. So hospitality, kindness in welcoming guests or strangers into our family. And we are the family of God, so we want to always be kind to welcome in strangers and guests. If they're passing through or if they're new to our church, new to the area, whatever the case may be, always welcoming in. Um, one of the things I like to say, uh, I'm glad that you're here. In fact, if you walk up, as you walk up to the, the doors, it is printed right there. I, I'm glad that you're here. We're glad you're here. Uh, it's printed again inside, inside the, the, the doors. Uh, we're glad you're here. Why? Because we're glad you're here. We, I'm glad you are here tonight. Another thing that I, I would encourage you to say and, and just remind people is you're always welcome here. You're always welcome here. Uh, that's something we have out on the, the shuttle bus. You're always welcome. People sometimes have this uh, <laughs> I, I've, I've talked to many people who have visited our church or become part of our church and, and say, oh, it, was, it, was, it was a long time before I worked up the courage to walk in the doors. I didn't know what was going to be on the other side of the doors. Friends, a word of welcome can go a long way. And so a part of our, our the ingredients that needs to be a part of Grace Baptist is this friendly, welcoming, spirit. I'm grateful that you do so well at that. Let's continue to do well at that. And let's do well at that in our, in our daily life as well. That's the type of, um, we want to be approachable. Let's work on that even as we're out in public. Have you ever passed a person that you knew you could not start a conversation with them? Uh, I've known a few people like that. I have a, a few people that are that are coming to mine out and man, I've tried, I've tried, but it is just clear there, there is there, it is closed. Let's not be that way. Let's have that opening, open, hospitable heart. Um, the idea of entertain also has the uh, the thought of acknowledging, acknowledging. Um, we've all been in a store where you are waiting on a, a customer service agent or you know some an, a, a store employee to acknowledge you so that you could ask a question, right? And uh, they're going on talking with one another. I have one one a scenario that comes to mind. And I thought, are they ever gonna are they ever gonna uh, stop break their conversation about life and actually do their job and and say, how can I help you? Okay, but you know what I'm talking about. But it makes you feel so awkward. Like I don't belong here. Um, I'm sorry. Did I invade? Right but we don't ever want that to be the spirit that we put off, right? We wanna always be open, acknowledging, and simply acknowledging their presence. Holy huddles, you can call that in churches, holy huddles, where we all get together and we, you know, we do our thing. We don't wanna do that. We wanna, we wanna always be inviting in. One of the great ways to invite in is just introduce people to one another and invite into a conversation. I was standing in a conversation at the, at, at the, the pastor's conference, I was talking one-on-one with uh, a a pastor I haven't seen since a child. It was really, really cool. And the Lord's using him as a chaplain in uh, Mattoon, Illinois. And it's really it's really amazing. And uh, it it was kind of a blast from the past. But I was talking with him one-on-one, and there were two other people that were just standing there. And you know what? He just immediately, instinctively opened up the conversation, opened up the circle, and invited them in. Hey, we were just talking about and invited them right into the conversation. You can do that in conversation in the lobby right here. You see someone standing alone. Hey, we were just talking about, you're welcome in our conversation and just pull people in that friendly hospitable, hospitable spirit and we can do that. Uh, the Bible uses this word in Romans twelve thirteen, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality, given to hospitality, same word, entertaining in Hebrews is used as hospitality in Hebrews, uh, in, in Romans. Number three, compassionate, an ingredient of compassion. Uh, it's love in action. Remember, let's read verse three together. I'm going to have you read along and you can stay with me in that way. Uh, Hebrews 13 and verse number three. Ready? Begin. Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. So he is reminding us that we should have a heart towards those that are suffering behind prison bars. Per- primarily, I believe that this is talking about those that are suffering for their faith. Primarily. Uh, I believe they're the, uh, especially the Jews in, in uh, Jerusalem were suffering persecution, and we should remember them. But I would also say that beyond that, we should remember those that are suffering behind bars, whether it is of their own doing or not, that we should not just cast them to the side, but we should have a heart for even them. The world puts people behind bars, just forget them. They're, they're worthless, just forget them. No, they're still people, <laughs> they're still people whom Jesus Christ has died for and they have a soul that's going to spend somewhere for all of eternity. And so remember them, keep them in mind. And we should remember those that are in other countries and even in our own country that are suffering for righteousness sake. But we should remember those that are that are also in bonds um, because of their own their own doing. And make sure that we have a heart of compassion specifically towards those that are facing adversity. Not Well, you deserve it. Or I wouldn't have done it that way. And I've seen that happen. Did you remember when Paul was in prison, that there were some that used the occasion to preach a, a, a gospel of contention, Jesus Christ of contention? Uh, hoping to add to his bonds. He talks about this in the book of Philippians. And Paul said, you know, nevertheless, I, I just rejoice that Jesus Christ is being preached. But there are those that will even, that will even rejoice because another brother is in, you know, has gotten kind of caught up in the whole legal system and is behind on bars because it allows them to, to make themselves look, uh, look better. God says, don't do that. Don't do that. Remember them that are in bonds. Uh, have that compassionate spirit as though you were bound with them. Uh, and I have, I've sat visiting with people in, in prison. What a, hopeless, what a hopeless place to be, right? You're behind bars. That's a difficult place to be. And I'm thankful that many people find Jesus Christ behind bars, and we ought to always have a heart for that. And should the Lord ever open up a, a way for us to minister into uh, the Montgomery County uh, prison or, uh, or jail or in the, the women's um, jail here in the area, we should take that. We should absolutely, absolutely take uh, take that opportunity. But remember them that are in bonds. Number four, uh, purity, purity. Let's read verse number four together. Ready, begin. Marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. God wants his people to be pure. He wants me and you to be pure. That's not just a qualification for pastors. that's, That's something he wants for all believers. He says, hey, what you know you're not, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't join it with harlots. Don't, don't join it in, a, in adultery. Uh, believers must not, in their own lives, in our lives, tolerate sexual immorality. We must be, must be pure. And we realize we live in a very sexualized age, a very wicked day in these regards. But we must walk in purity. Just because the world's doing it, we should not. And it's becoming ev- more and more evident as we go along here, how perverted the world is in this in this regard. And may we be pure in our minds, in our thinking. Uh, Paul dealt with the Corinthian believers because they were allowing it to happen within their church. And they weren't doing anything about it. Now, when sin happens in a church, we don't kick the person. What does the Bible say? Brethren. Say it with me if you know it. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. It does say brethren. It doesn't say only pastor. Right? Sometimes, believe it or not, the pastor might be the last one to know about a sin that's going on. Did you know that? Typically, people don't come, hey, pastor, I'm, I'm sinning, and I just wanted you to know about it. They typically don't do that but they might share that somewhere else. And then the pastor, people are thinking, well, what's the pastor going to do about this? It says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. There's, there's a good opportunity for a brother to say, hey, brother, I'm concerned about you. Can we go get a cup of coffee? And love on them, and help them to do what, uh, do what is right. But especially in this area, we live in a very, very sexualized age, and we need to be upholding one another. Um, more and more, this matter of, of of pornography and adultery and fornication all these matters and even friends it's we live in such a wicked day the homosexuality those things must be dealt with and we must be pure we must be pure so paul said to them in corinthians 1 corinthians 5 it's commonly reported that there's fornication among you and such fornication is not uh, so much mentioned or as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. There was there was uh, an, an incestuous, just very off relationship going on there. Verse number two, And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from from you. In other words, you've just allowed it to go on. You haven't even dealt with it. You have not called him on it. You've not dealt with it. It needs to be dealt with. And he, and he goes on to say in that passage, Listen, I I... I I'm there in spirit, and I want to deal with this matter. It has to be dealt with. The church needs to be pure. Our lives need to be pure. Don't tolerate it in your life. And let me just just kind of reawaken this, uh, sensitivities. Jesus is the one that told us that if a man looks on a woman to lust after her in his heart, he's already committed adultery. And God's desire for all of us men and women is purity. Now, do we mess up in that? Absolutely. Do we mess up in our thinking? Absolutely. There's a reality to that. But friends, we can't stay there. We must be right with God. We must be pure in our our bodies. And the church must be pure. And that's something we need to be committed to. Not just to turn our head the other way. Uh, Sometimes these mean difficult conversations. But it needs to happen. And so purity. And so they are encouraged. And this is a very clear verse. It is very clear. Marriage is the place. And nowhere else. And so... Marriage is honorable in all. There needs to be purity. Verse number five and six. Let's read this together. Ready to begin? Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do to me. He is calling them to be content, to be satisfied, to be satisfied. Boy, don't we have a, A struggle with that today. There's always a commercial asking you to buy something else that you really, really need. But we need to be satisfied. Our conversation, our lifestyle is not to be focused after I need more and more and more money. But it needs to be that we are satisfied. And that satisfaction, verse number six, really is based in, and verse number five, the end of it, is based in the presence of Jesus Christ. So if you and I are walking and living in the reality of the presence of Jesus Christ, who says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, I'm always present there with you. Friends, you and I can be satisfied. You and I can have satisfaction the world cannot have, that money can't have. They work and they work and they work to have, they work to have more, they work to have more toys, but no toys satisfy them like Jesus Christ can. And friends, the sad thing is, is when we, who have Jesus Christ living within us by his Holy Spirit, revert and try to be satisfied with the things that the world seeks after he says no don't do that you have the lord as your helper and you need to be able to boldly say the lord has given me this help that i need to be satisfied in my spirit and not to be longing after everything the world's longing after satisfied or content and may contentment rest upon us may we do all things with content paul says i've learned in whatsoever state i am on malta in the midst of the adriatic sea and your Whatever state I'm in, therewith to be content. I've learned that. I've I've worked at that. But also, verse number 7 and verse number 17, will couple those two together. Ready, begin. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jump to verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable unto you. And so the ingredient of uh, of submission or being submissive, and this is something we are ultimately always to be in submission to God. Uh, The Bible tells the wives to submit to their husbands, but earlier on in chapter number 5 of Ephesians, do you remember that the Bible says that we are to submit to one to another in the fear of the Lord? Sometimes that doesn't get mentioned. But we're to have a submissive spirit. And by the way, When we're submitted to the Holy Spirit, it helps us submit to one another and to the Lord. And we need to have that submissive spirit. And just in this context here in the church, the Bible says that we are are to make certain that we remember them that have the rule. This is not called a dictatorship, but the pastor is to take the lead in the church. He is responsible. The Bible puts a lot of weight on the pastor here in verse number 17, especially as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. I'm forever sobered by Revelation chapter number uh, two and three when God, uh, God, Jesus, comes to each one of the seven pastors and he writes them a letter. Here's what's going on in, in the church you're, uh, you're pastoring. Here's the commendation, and here's the problems, and here's what needs to be fixed. Friends, that's a big weight. That's a really big weight. That's a big responsibility. And sometimes, even as a, as a pastor, there's just the, the, the knowledge, the realization, you know what, i got to give an account for this decision. And I, I have people wanting to go this way or that way, but at the end of the day, I'm the one that God has laid that responsibility upon. And so God calls believers to say, hey, remember that. Remember they have the rule and have that submissive spirit. But it's not submitting to a man just to, 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 um, to puff up a man. It is ultimately submission to God. God has given, called a representative uh, to, to work and to lead the flock in that way. But it specifically says in verse number 7, whose faith follow considering the end of their conversation. Follow their faith as they are making the goal of their lifestyle, the end of their conversation, the goal of their lifestyle, verse number 8, Jesus Christ the same, yesterday, today, and forever. So the most important thing in finding a, a, a person that you can follow and remember and and obey in that way or listen to that spiritual leadership is who is following jesus christ is that pastor following jesus christ if god should lead you on to another city and in another place and you move you want to find a pastor who you can say i i see that the end the goal of their conversation the goal of their lifestyle is jesus I may not always make the same decisions, but I know at the end of the day, their heart is for Jesus and, and they're, they're wanting to follow and they're wanting to lead in that way. And that's what we, we want to uh, look for. And so the pastor's responsible to lead, to, to protect, to set the direction for the flock. Paul told the pastors at Ephesus on his way back to Jerusalem in Acts 20 and verse 28, take heed, th- uh, take heed therefore unto yourselves. Look at yourselves first. Make sure that you're walking with the Lord. And to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. And feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. The idea is, listen, Ephesian elders, pastors, be watching taking heed, constantly accounting, where where, where are the, the issues, where, where are the things you can praise, where are the things you need to deal with, what's, wh- what needs to be confronted, what needs to be upheld. And so the, the pastors have this responsibility, but the, the, the church believers have a responsibility to obey them, which have the rule over that spiritual oversight, not a lording. Peter was very um, very careful. He said, don't don't be lords over God's heritage. You're not a, a lord over it. You're not a, you're not a Gentile... CEO, you're not the CEO of the church. That's not the idea. You're you're to be a, a spiritual leader of the church, and so there's to be that heart of submission towards God's ordained uh, um, leadership in that way. Eight and nine together. Eight and nine. Let's look. Ready? Begin. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which ye have not profited them that have been occupied therein. And so we ought to be doctrinally sound. That's the other thing that needs to be a part of the ingredients of a group of believers of our own lives personally. Doctrinally sound. He says, hey, make sure you stay focused on Jesus Christ. Remember the, the, the opening statement about the first church in Jerusalem, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Doctrine. Doctrine simply means teaching of the word, teaching of Jesus Christ. And so that's based on Jesus Christ, who does not change. Jesus never changes. Culture changes, does it not? But his truth does not change. That's why we need to become very weary of, of all the change that, that rises in, in, in church talk. Well, how can we craft the church to, to meet this age? Listen, Jesus Christ hasn't changed. His message hasn't changed. We do understand that, you know what, we used to, we used to type letters now we use computers we used to uh we used to uh use you know dial up Uh, you know things do change but the message doesn't change we can't water down the message we can't change the truth we don't have that prerogative it might come in a little different vehicle sometimes but but the truth cannot be changed we need to be doctrinally sound we need to stay on that listen there are so many winds of doctrine coming youtube is not a help to pastors many times there's a lot of good stuff on there but there's a lot of stuff that's just way out you need to be ever so careful listen people i was listening to a a preacher this uh, this week and i'll not mention his name because i don't want you to look him up but i'm telling you i'm telling you there is so much danger out there and so many deviant doctrines god gave us a church for a reason hebrews or uh, ephesians chapter four and verse number fourteen Right after he says, I've gifted the church with pastors, evangelists, apostles, prophets, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, that, that, ye henceforth be no more tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. God has given us the local church to establish us. And we need to remember that. He did not give us YouTube to establish us. I'm not against, I, I listen to some things on YouTube and we, our messages are archived on YouTube and all, all that. I'm, I'm not against everything, but I'm saying be very, very careful. There's a lot of deviant doctrines. You have a responsibility to personally be, uh, remain sound. One of the best ways for you personally to remain sound is to remember God's given you a church. Stay rooted, stay listening, keep your ears open. When the preaching happens, remember that, that God is giving you these moments to help you stay rooted in the truth. Uh, in growth group, we, I, I intended to get all the way through it this morning, but in growth group this, uh, this morning, we, we uh, talked about salvation and how salvation is for whosoever will may come. We'll talk about that uh, next Sunday morning. Why? To help us be rooted. To help us be rooted in the, the reality of what is salvation, the salvation that God offers uh, offers to every, every man. There's many different and aberrant uh, doctrines. It says it right here. Don't be carried uh, around by diverse. Di- uh, m- different, many different and strange doctrines, aberrant, perverse, deviant doctrines. They had it in those days. Listen, just because it was said in the Reformation doesn't mean it was good. There were, uh, there were a lot of good things during the Reformation, but I find people who go back to the Reformation like it's gospel truth. No, the only gospel truth is this. We have to remain committed to this, doctrinally sound, standing firmly upon upon the word of god so let's mind that in our own lives let's value the word of god let's take it seriously and uh you know ultimately if you had no other book no other commentary the word of god would be enough the word of god is enough and uh, i use commentaries but you know what i learned this from a pastor friend who used to come and sit right here how many remember pastor paul He'd say this statement, eat the fish and spit out the bones. Let's say that together. Eat the fish and spit out the bones. Whenever I'm suggesting a book to you, I often say, this is not the Bible, so read read with discernment. And I won't, I won't quote people or, um, or say things I think would bring you down the wrong, wrong path, but we do have to be careful when we're reading, listening, podcast, all those things. Why? Because staying doctrinally pure is important. And you have to be a part of having that heart for that. It can't just be, the pastor has to lead the way in that, but you need to develop discernment. You need to know when something's off. (laughs) You need to know when someone walks in here and uh, starts saying um, something in a conversation and you say, that just doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right. So we we need to be doctrinally sound. Number eight, separated. Look at verse number 10 through 14. Let's read it out loud together. Well, actually, I'll read, and then I'm going to have you come in in verse number 12. We have an altar, whereof they have no right to eat uh, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned without the camp. So all this is kind of an illustration. We'll get to that. Let's read verse number 12. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, Suffered without the gate. Let us go th- on forth therefore unto him without the camp. Bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city. But we seek one to come. And so I want us to cr- uh, catch that he's simply saying. Hey listen. Even those sacrifices. The blood sacrifices. The body. The blood was brought into the tabernacle. But the body was brought out outside the, outside the gate. It was, it was kind of a disgusting thing. It was burned outside the gate. But do remember that Jesus himself, as a criminal, was brought outside the city gates of Jerusalem. And on Golgotha, he was crucified. And there is an inherent shame that went along with with that. And anyone who follows after Jesus Christ also will share in that suffering, will share in that that shame. And that's what's being said here. Hey, there needs to be a willingness to be separated from an old way of living, from an old lifestyle, from the old friends and all those things, maybe even the the religious traditions and all those different things. And remember that Jesus Christ himself suffered shame on your behalf. And you and I need to be willing to suffer reproach for his for his sake. And friends, as I've been saying more and more as we go along in this crazy world in which we're living, We need to be ready for that here in America. It is going to cost us something to follow Jesus Christ. Are you ready to suffer reproach for his name? Are you ready to be separated? We're already separated. He says here the word sanctify in verse number 12 that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. The idea is to be set apart. The word is set apart unto God. We're not set apart unto unto the world. We're set apart unto God. And they're right along with What God is trying to do in our life is to separate us. We're in the world, we're not of the world. He he didn't say in John chapter 17 when he's praying for us, he said, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but I'm praying that you would would help them as they stay in the world, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Set them apart. Help them to be separated unto me. Help them to look more and more like me, less and less like the world. I want to remind us, one author said about Jesus and the suffering outside the gate, Suffering outside the gate is equivalent to, this sh- uh, to the shame in chapter 12 and verse number 2. He suffered shame on our behalf. The ignominy of the malefactor's death was an essential element in suffering. The m- utmost that a man inflicts upon criminals he bore. He was made to feel that he was an outcast and condemned. But it is this which wins all men to him. Jesus went and became outcast. Suffered outside of Jerusalem for you and for me. We can bear shame for him. And that might be shame in a relationship. I just can't believe you're following after. I can't believe you believe that. That's that's ridiculous. And be willing to suffer shame in that moment for him. Not everything is what the the TV preachers try try to tell us. It's all just glitz and glamour. Following Jesus is all just a cakewalk. No, there's a lot of shame that comes along with it. There needs to be a resolve in your heart. I'm not going to be swayed to follow after the world or identify with the world. I am going to be separated unto Christ. He died to separate me unto God, and he's working that out in our, in our lives. So are you willing to suffer reproach for him and be separated unto him? Baptists, for, for years, is just a part of, of our, our mindset has been we are willing to be separate from the world, not to, be, not to isolate from the world, But to be separate, we're not going to engage. We're not just going to go along with everything uh, they say, and you've got to do it this way. We're not going to blend. We want to be separated unto Jesus Christ. By the way, if you and I will keep a focus on Jesus Christ, there are some folks who get so focused on their separation. Well, I'm separate in this way, and I my music, my dress, everything about I'm separate in all these different ways I'm separate in the Bible I carry I'm separate in the places I go and they take pride in all their separation and you're like, man, it's really hard to be around that, okay if we stay focused on Jesus Christ and we keep following him, he is gonna gonna call us to multiple decisions of separation, sanctification, right being separate unto him those are gonna be in many different areas not just in external areas, areas of the thought, mind, heart, attitudes, all those things. If we'll keep our focus on him, it'll help us keep a sweet spirit in our separation. Does that make sense? Because some people are like, they're all about, well, I'm separate, and I must be because that's what everyone else, else around me, and they get kind of a, 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 just a hard shell on them. No, let's stay focused on Jesus. Jesus will make us sweet. Th- does that make sense? Am I making sense? Um, even when we were back going through covid some people said, how, how do you keep a sweet spirit when, when everyone's saying, sh- be shut down, don't, don't gather together? If we keep our focus on Jesus Christ, then in those hard moments when we have to say no to something that the world is doing, it'll give us the ability to say, you know what? All I'm trying to do is just follow Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to be hard to deal with or op- obstinate or contrary. I'm just trying to say yes to Jesus Christ. And in saying yes to Jesus Christ, there's gonna be some inherent separations. There's going to be some inherent no's. Does that make sense? And so we need to keep our eyes on him. And if we walk with him, he'll give us a sweet spirit. And I, I, I want to have that. And you pray for me about that. And I'll pray for you about that. Let's stay that way in our, in our separation. Number five, offering praise. Verse number 15. Ready? And let's read out loud together. By him, therefore, let us offer a sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. I think that's pretty clear. But God wants you and I as believers to have this ingredient, this just constant sacrifice of praise, offering praise up to him. Praise the Lord. That ought not be weird for us to say. And it's to happen continually. It's not to happen uh, only in church. It's to happen as we go about our daily life. It's to happen within our family time. It's to happen everywhere we go. We are to be praising The Lord giving thanks, and that's specifically how we give this sacrifice of praise and expressing thanks to God, just like Paul did this morning. He saw those believers coming, and he gave thanks to God and took courage. I remember, er, reminded that Asaph, who was a choir leader around David's time, he would have seen the faces of God's people as they gathered together and sang as he led them in worship, but they had really gotten to the point where they're very formalistic, they just went through the motions and asaph in psalm 50 deals with this the first psalm that he writes he deals with this matter and he tells him listen god isn't interested in just your songs and your sacrifices and all that he wants to sacrifice the offering of your thanksgiving he wants to hear you say thank you and he wants to hear you do that in song he wants you to verbally do that psalm 50 and verse 14 offer unto god thanksgiving that's what he wants and may this be a place where we're constantly offering praise but we're doing that as we go about our daily life, that we're praising God everywhere we go. Uh, in the hotel, I had my kids to go down and, and start catching breakfast, the older kids. And I came down, and that's a little bit nerve-wracking, but they're getting a little older. Um, and so I had sent them down, and I was going to be down shortly. And so I came down, and they were sitting next to um, perfect strangers at a, at a six-seated table. It was pretty jammed in there. And they're sitting down, and they were having a conversation. There was no room for me to sit down. Well, they they went back up, and and so I had sat down, and, and the folks were were talking. Oh, we really enjoyed talking to your kids. They were they were pleasant. This one was telling me everything that was going on. I said, Yeah, that's my administrator. And uh, and and anyway, they're just they're having all these conversations. Okay, and so later on, I come back to the hotel. I didn't have a track on me at that uh, at that point. And you can all say shame on you, pastor. I didn't. But later on that night, I came back and. Um, I saw him sitting down there. It was late at night, and I saw him sitting down there, so I went up to him and started talking and, and um, made conversation, uh, gave him a, a tract and was just telling him my, my story and, and so forth. And he again started talking about the kids. And and uh, in that moment, I just, I said, really all praise to Jesus Christ. You know, that that's the reason. He's the one changing our lives. This isn't something we've done. My dad came from a pretty rough background. My mom did too, and, and I just shared a little bit of that story. But in that moment, just gave praise to the Lord Jesus Christ that's what I'm talking about and I don't always do that perfectly I'm just saying that's that's we need to praise Jesus Christ even in front of the lost he was there drinking a six-pack yeah, told me he read his bible every day but but understand uh, we always constantly need to be praising praising the Lord and even in front of the lost world, they need to hear us praising the Lord. It ought not be strange. Well, I got a filter. I got a self-censor out there. No, let's offer offerings of thanksgiving to the Lord. What a tremendous witness to this world when we give praise for the blessings of God upon our lives. Man, that, that'll, change, that'll change your workplace, friends. And so let's, let's remi- uh, uh, do that uh, conscientiously. Uh, number 10, benevolent benevolent look at verse number 16 let's read it together but to do good and to communicate forget not for with such sacrifices God is well pleased continuing this thought of sacrifices but good it's the idea doing doing what is morally right do good but this idea of communicate is participation fellowship so he says hey make sure that you're doing good but make sure that you remember don't forget to participate with one another to fellowship with one another. In fact, the word communicate is sharing in activities or privileges of an intimate association or group, and it's used in two ways. That in church and that in marriage. There's some conversations that are appropriate inside of marriage. You don't share with anyone else. And there's some conversations, there's just a fellowship that happens inside of the church. It's just, you can't can't share with other people because it's something the family of God enjoys together right? There's a blessed, blessed be the tie that binds. And so the, the closeness of that word is that the church ought to be close. There ought to be a knitting of the hearts together. There ought to be a, 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 a conscientious fellowship, participation fellowship. And this is really, um, what we describe as benevolent, this kind and charitable mood, this, this spirit that, that, um, that the church interacts with one another, uh, with. The Bible says in Acts 2 42, then they that gladly received his uh, word were baptized the same day were added unto the church. Three thousand souls and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine. And here's the word fellowship. The early church was marked by this fellowship, this participation together. And may we continue to have that number. Number 11, prayerful says pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly But I beseech you, the rather, to do this, that I may be restored unto you the sooner. Pray for us. Pray for us. Intercessory prayer, interceding that they have a good conscience, interceding that they're willing to live honestly in this way. Let's be ready always to pray at a moment's notice. I was blessed. I don't remember. It was a couple Sundays ago. But I I saw a huddle going on over here of of prayer. A, A bunch of you ladies just gathering together and praying. And that blessed my heart. I could have gone home, and that could have been the end of the day. That, that, was, that was enough blessing just to see that. That's what needs to be happening all the time, a need. Um, sometimes we say, hey, would you pray for me this week about such and such? Do you know how much more powerful it is if, if before we left that conversation, let's pray right now? It's a powerful thing. And any one of us can change. Like, that, that, that honestly... There are some churches, some groups that are more ready to pray than sometimes us Baptists. I think we, we, everything's kind of, well, there's a place and a time for that and all that. Let's be a church that just is, is at the drop of the hat ready to pray. You know, there's sometimes that people will, I asked, a, I asked a person this week, I was texting with the person, I'm not sure that he's saved. Hey, uh, is there anything I could pray about you for? And I plan on, I prayed and plan on following up with that. You can do that in your workplace too but let's be ready to pray. Let's always have that spirit of prayer. What a great ingredient in our lives. What is prayer? It's verbal, it's a a declaration of dependence upon God. And when you stop and pray with your wife or with your spouse or with a friend or another church member, you're declaring, we need God to show up in this situation. We have needs here in the church that we need God for, don't we? We do. We need God to help us with these children. God has given us all these children that we got to minister to. We need God. We need God to, for discernment, creativity, all these things to help us with that. We need God as far as a vehicle. We need God as far as a roof. We need God. And we need to be praying about all those things. We need God w- when it comes to the different health issues that go on. We need God in those moments, so let's be mindful to pray. And then lastly, verse number 20, let's read it out loud together. Verse number 20, now the God of peace that brought you again from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen." Amen. Amen means so be it. So be it. But I just want to note here in verse number 20, he clearly describes the gospel, which is the death and, and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what our salvation is. That's where it's sourced in. We have no other plea than that, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, the one who has given eternal life to his sheep. And we'll never, never reject them. No man can pluck them out of their hand. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, through his blood we've been saved. And friends, and all things, as a church and as individuals, we must stay so very clear on this matter of the gospel. There are many who add, and I'm telling you, I find it more and more, even among people who, who will go into a church who need to be walked through, that your, your salvation is not based upon your works. It's not based on you being in church. It's not based on you being baptized. It's not based in a bunch of religious exercises. It is based in believing, trusting in Jesus Christ alone. We have to stay so very clear on that matter. And we realize that that salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. And in verse number 21, in the same way we're sanctified, we're set apart, we're perfected through Jesus Christ, the same way you came to faith, The same way you were saved is the same way that you continue to walk in newness of life, to walk in sanctification, to walk being set apart unto God by faith in Jesus Christ every single day. Oh, isn't that song, Lord, I I need you? Every hour, (laughs) every hour. You and I can't think purely. You and I can't respond kindly without the help of the Lord. Have you ever said... I? You're in a difficult situation. Well, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to say the right thing. You get in the midst of it and your nerves get on edge and you say something you didn't want to say, right? And in that moment, you realize I am so weak. I am so weak. The reality is Jesus is not weak. He has all the strength we need to live victoriously in that moment. And we need to be accessing that on a daily basis. Get in the habit of constantly acknowledging to the Lord, I need you today. I need you in this moment. I'm walking into this conversation and I I need you. But stay laser focused on on the, the clarity of the gospel. It is Jesus went to the cross. He died in my place for my sins. He shed his blood for me. And only by faith in his finished work can I be saved. That's what it is. And the church and we as individuals must stay so focused on that. Satan wants to get us off focus in that, but we must stay clear on the simplicity that is in the gospel. So these ingredients, these ingredients, let's work. I give you the paper tonight. I don't usually do that on Sunday nights. I gave you that. I hope that you'll meditate on this. And I hope that you'll uh, work to apply these things in your life. Lord, I need to be loving. I need to be compassionate. I need to be benevolent. I want to be prayerful. All these things. And I don't give this all to you to, to load you down with a checklist. That's not the idea. You and I walk with Christ. He'll produce these things in our lives. We all get that? Like this isn't, this isn't. Well, i come back next Sunday. I, I only got six, six out of 12 of them. No, 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 no. You and I walk with Christ. We get in his word tomorrow. We pray. He'll help us with it. Don't you believe that? So let's, let's just uh, depend on him for that. Let's ask him right now, right where you are uh, to help us. Father, Thank you for this time together tonight. Thank you for your people. Thank you for admonishing us in this, in this very practical way. Thank you for this book. Lord, we need your help this week to live out the sanctified life, the, the, the Christ-like life. I can't, I can't show you to my family, to my wife, my children, those I'm going to bump into this week, I I can't show you without your help. So I pray that you would help me and my friends here in this way. Help us to walk with you. Help us to have these ingredients in our lives so that our lives truly may be sweet, refreshing. um, That would cause people to taste and see the goodness of God. So we ask for that in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed, would you just take a moment in your seat to have a private conversation with the Lord? Lord, I I want these ingredients. Thank you for showing them to me tonight. I want my church to have these ingredients. And where I see deficiencies in this, Lord, help me to take the step up. Help me to lead out in it. Help me to encourage others with it. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.